You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. All the girls are complicated. episode 138 of the Christian Feminist Podcast. I'm Victoria Reynolds-Farmer, and with me today are Kim Feldman and Carla Godwin. Hey, Kim and Carla. Hello. Hello. So uh, this episode is titled The Best of 2020, and we thought that would be a good place to start our 2021 season, just because uh, for us, as I'm sure for all of you listeners, it's been kind of a rough year. Uh, So we're going to start there and just share a little bit about how our year and our pandemic experience has been going. Uh, Kim, can you get us started? Sure. Um, So I am still working at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County in teacher education. And uh, my job actually translated rather seamlessly to the virtual environment, although it's been a bit of a challenge for my interns who are um, doing their student teaching in a virtual environment right now. Um, I was totally against online teaching. Previously, I would only do hybrid or face-to-face classes, but I really enjoyed the intellectual and creative challenge of transitioning my courses to online courses and trying to preserve the social constructivist approach that's really important to me. Um, So in a totally nerdy way, I've enjoyed it. My students have been wonderful, letting me experiment with them on all kinds of fun things to do to still keep that spirit of community alive in our classes. So that's been great. My husband, fortunately, can work from home easily as well. So we're able to support our kids with their virtual learning at home. Um, So we've really recognized that we are in a good position, both with our work and with our kids in school, Um, whereas it's been really, really hard for some families. I know um, for us, it's been kind of a special time just to draw closer together as a family. I have a 13-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son, and it's just been, we never have had this much time together, Um, and it's been really precious. But um, my husband is a pastor of a small Southern Baptist church, and uh, pastoring during this time has been the hardest uh, in all of our 15 years of doing ministry. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a really heavy time to pastor. Um, and just for so many reasons. (laughs) Um, so, um, yeah, so that's been the hardest part. Um, but my husband and I are kind of predisposed to kind of hermit life, um, (laughs) a little bit. Um, uh, we both enjoy visiting convents and monasteries. Like we both take personal retreats every year to go and stay at a convent or a monastery. And, um, like we enjoy that kind of lifestyle of solitude. And so this is very comfortable for us, but, um, the hardest part is that we have to be super intentional about connecting with community and connecting with the people in our church, um, because you don't have the incidental contact that you normally would have. So, um, 
yeah, so that's been hard and also good, and um, we've definitely learned a lot this year. Thanks for sharing that experience with us. I'm so glad that uh, your family has been able to uh, draw closer together in this time. I think that's true um, of a lot of people that we've kind of been forced to consider what um, relationships mean to us and, and focus on those important things. So thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Carla, how about you? What has the past uh, year looked like for you and how are you feeling about your pandemic experience? Yeah, um, goodness, there's some overlaps for sure with Kim and some that are some things that are really different. Um, my job uh, has been relatively easy to move remotely as to move remote as well. So that hasn't been too bad. I started as the operations manager for a small foundation just at the end of end of 2019. So and I'd only been there what five months when we went um, completely remote. So that um, definitely impacted just a sense of like, uh, fitting in and belonging with the group because we all of a sudden were online all the time. So we've had some growing pains that way because another another employee started about the same time as I did. So we've had to kind of sort like how do you blend as a team when you're all working remotely. But I've been really grateful for the fact that my job has been secure and it has been um, consistent and I haven't had to worry about my livelihood during this time. Um, so that has been relatively painless. Um, my kids are both schooling from home completely. We live in Minneapolis and so it has been online school since March of this year. Um, and that has been a bit of a challenge. I'm a single parent, um, we're, we're a two household family. And so when the kids are here, um, they're here <laughs> and I'm trying to work full time and they're trying to do school full, full time and I have a first grader. Um, and that's just a, a stage at which it takes, um, some instruction. And so that has been a challenge for sure. Having the kids at home and not having a, a partner at home as well to, to help, uh, with that. Um, the kids have been amazing about it, but it has been a challenge for sure. Um, both my kids are into their sports. My oldest does basketball and my little one does um, gymnastics and those have been on hold or stopped or limited or whatever most of the time since March. And that has been a bit painful for them, for sure. Um, and I I am kind of an ambivert where I, I am introverted at times where I really love my time alone. And then I'm extroverted at times where I just desperately need energy from other people. And so I have really struggled with just the feeling of like contained energy or like restricted energy that is out and about. Um, like when I, when I do go to target or whatever, um, Minneapolis has been great with mask mandates and, and just trying to be really careful for things, but people's energy is so drawn in and so restricted. It's almost like when you walk by someone that they're afraid of you or resentful of you or whatever. And that kind of, uh, just, um, I don't know, regular, uh, strange energy out in the world has been just hard for me to bear, um, if I'm honest. Yeah, I, I feel that so strongly. I, I know you and I have spoken before um, when we both lived in the same city and, and got together regularly, that we're both um, empathic in that way, that we can feel the energy coming off from other people. And uh, so, yeah, I, I agree. And that's that's something I've been feeling, um, that that weird energy uh, the past few months. And it is, it's a super disconcerting feeling. It really is. That's a good word for it, is disconcerting. Um, and so, yeah, just my days feel a little bit like, ah, just strange interactions. I, I'm desperately missing, uh, like, good time with my best friend. We're working really hard to have time together, but she's immunocompromised. So we just have to be really careful. Um, things like that have just been hard. Um, again, with being a divorced family, um, I'm, 
I have a person and my ex spouse has a person. And so our like household cluster is, is pretty complex. And so figuring out like how to protect everybody in our household cluster and making sure we're aware of who's, who's maybe had exposure when and communicating that all the way across the board is, is a little bit tricky. (laughs) So, so those things as a, as a two household family have just been challenging. Um, and I think the one last thing that I will say is that I desperately miss traveling. I used to travel re- pretty regularly and I just, there are places that I used to go, you know, I used to, I was in New York fairly regularly for a few, you know, few years of my life and I just have missed it desperately. And then I have, you know, friends in the UK that I keep saying, I'm going to go stay there for a month and just be, and now it's, it's genuinely off limits. And I, I, I was just telling Justin, my person, like, when this is open again, I'm just going. Like, I can't, the idea that I can't go is enough to make me, like, rageful about it. So, I, and I agree with all those limitations, but it's just, um, I really feel them. I'm, I'm ready to travel again. So, yeah, that, that's my COVID has been, yeah, a real mixed bag of some things. Like, I have genuinely, like you all were saying, enjoyed the extra time with my kids. Like, enjoyed the fact that we're just kind of here and we have to find a game to play or go for a walk or whatever. Like, that has been truly enriching in a way that I couldn't have expected. Um, But there are things about all this that have just been exhausting, too. So, yeah. Yeah, I am. I I won't share too much because I don't want to just echo everything that uh, the two of you have said, but um, I definitely think the biggest blessing from this time has been um, relationships with family and close friends being um, strengthened and stretched and adapted, and that's really kind of shown me what human beings are capable of doing and what we're capable of withstanding. Um, I have spoken before on the show about how um, we moved back to Georgia where our families live from Minneapolis. And one of the greatest things about that experience has been uh, being closer and being a regular presence in the lives of um, my sister-in-law's two daughters. Uh, Our nieces are nine and five. And just kind of being an adult in their lives uh, has been such a blessing for me um, and has been really great Um, The past few months has kind of stabilized my, I I have a lot of anxiety um, about just everything. (laughs) Like the whole, it feels like the whole world has anxiety and that that doubles my anxiety during this time. So it's been great to to have uh, family relationships that kind of even that out a little bit. And um, as Carla said, my job has thankfully been um, fairly stable throughout this experience. And uh, though I I also started the position that I'm currently in um, right before the pandemic, I think that I was there six weeks before we went fully remotely. So um, all that stuff about like, how do we gel as a team and figure all this stuff out? um, I definitely was feeling that but uh, feel much more stable uh, in that position now. I love my coworkers. I love the work that we're doing. Um, so that, that has been good too. But generally the, the anxiety and hopelessness and lament of society has been um, the hardest to, to deal with for me. Uh, so all of that said, 
uh, we decided to do this episode on the best of 2020. And it is a return of the all recommendations format that we did several years ago that uh, a lot of you listeners gave us lots of positive feedback about. And our thinking here is that because 2020 has been a pretty disappointing year for all of the reasons we just went through, Uh, disappointing in ways we never could have anticipated. We wanted to take some time to share with all of you some things that we read and watched and listened to and participated in that made 2020 a little bit better for us. And we hope that uh, on our Facebook page and in our email, you will also share uh, all the things that made 2020 a little bit better for you. Uh, So we're going to go through several categories of things on this episode, and we're going to start off with books. Uh, Carla, tell us what you read over the past year that really stuck with you. Yeah, I'm super excited to start with books because one of my favorite one of my favorite things out of this past year is the fact that I've had a lot more reading time, and um, I actually absolutely binged Alana Ferrante for most of this past year. Like I stumbled upon, and I stumbled upon is ridiculous. The Neapolitan novels are super. I mean, they're they're well known and they're important and I just hadn't hadn't read them but I was at one of our bookstores here in Minneapolis and found the first one which is called My Brilliant Friend and I actually have a brilliant best friend so I was like it some something in it made me um think of her and I thought I'm just going to try it um and so I dove into that book and I I literally like felt myself uh, move into a, like a world of of words that was entirely outside anything I had experienced before. So the Neapolitan novels are four novels um, and it starts with one called My Brilliant Friend and it goes through the life of these two best friends from the time that they're elementary students until they're they're older, like grown and have their own children and grandchildren. Um, and they're, I just, it's very hard for me to explain how Alana Ferrante does what she does, um, but they are they're so immersive. They're so incredibly intense. Um, and she does a thing with with like, blatant telling with her words that is it's so visceral that it that it is a showing in its telling I don't even know know how to say it so those ones are are I I cannot say enough about all things Alana Ferrante um so the Neapolitan novels and then I also read uh the days of abandonment and then uh the lying life of adults and all of them are brilliant so that that's my like if you want to get stuck somewhere like if you want to start on a on an author and just read all the way through their their catalog. She's the one (laughs) Do that one. Um, and then this year also Marilyn Robinson put out Jack, um, which is the fourth of the Gilead group of books. Um, and I remember I, I get the New Yorker and I opened it one morning and I saw her, I saw Marilyn Robinson and I did not realize that she had a book coming out this year. And I read this profile by Casey Sepp about Marilyn Robinson, about all of the books uh, the Gilead books and about this new one coming out. And I literally had this sense of like relief. I felt like if Marilyn Robinson is still writing, we're going to be okay. <laughs> she's like um, a prophet in the world to me. She has a way of seeing things that's both hopeful and wise at the same time. And so something about the way that she writes and the fact that she's still writing just made me feel hopeful for the world. And if you're familiar with the Gilead books, which Casey Sepp in the profile calls them the Gospels of Gilead, she talks about them as if they're like the four Gospels in Scripture because they tell um, a similar place in time, but from different perspectives. And um, anyway, so Jack is the final of those four books, and it tells the story of um, of Jack, the son of 
Gilead's authors, John Ames, best friend. And so in the second book, Home, we kind of heard about Jack. And this is Jack's story in a central way. So I, I got it as soon as I could. I read it once. I read it again. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, and if you haven't read Merlin Robinson, and if you haven't read all of the Gilead books, that would that's a strong recommendation from me. So Awesome. I keep meaning to start those and I never have. So oh my I'll, gosh. Uh, I'll, def you've I'll never definitely read? put them on my list. No, Victoria, I'm serious. You've never read the Gilead books? Any of I, ha I have not. People I keep telling me to. Okay. Yeah. You have to do that. And then we have to talk like after okay. each book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I will. I promise I will absolutely do that. Awesome. Uh, Kim, what books do you have for us? So those sound brilliant and amazing, and mine are more of the brain candy escapist persuasion. Um, so my first honorable mention is The Aurora Cycle from Amy Kaufman and um, what was his name? Um, I can't remember his name right now. Um, there's two authors to it, but uh, they... This one's a uh, is my honorable mention. It's a sci-fi series with a bit of a mystical element. There's like a misfit crew of young cadets in an, from an elite military academy that are kind of caught up in this mysterious adventure around this girl that's been in cryosleep for two centuries and kind of wakes up with these unusual abilities that she's never had before. And it's part of this whole ancient intergalactic war. It's um, rather dramatic, but also fun. Um it and, sounds like Firefly. Yeah, definitely some. Uh, there's like some a lot of similarities between this other series that I'm going to share too as well. Um, there's a definite formula to some of these, but the the series that I'm gonna um, that's not the honorable mention. This is like one of my true recommendations is the Grishaverse books, um, the Grisha trilogy by Lee Barduga. It's uh, a young adult series. It starts with shadow and bone, and it's really kind of hard to describe because it's this whole universe that's created, you know, complete with a map at the front of the book with these four kingdoms. It's kind of got a period feel with the old technology and, and um, clothing and uh, belief systems and whatnot. Um, but there are these individuals in the book that have these special powers, the corporal key that can heal or attack people from inside their bodies, the ethereal key who can control wind, tides, and fire, and the material key who can control metal and other, substance, other substances to create objects and weapons and things. And um, there's, of course, a young girl who has abilities that she didn't know she had, similar to the Aurora cycle. Um, but the, in this case, um, these individuals with these powers are treated differently in each country. In one country, they're kind of dissected and studied scientifically. In one, they're seen as witches and immediately executed. In one, they're commodified and used as slaves for the ultra-rich. And in one kingdom, they are weaponized, basically. They're, they're taken at a very young age. They're raised kind of like royalty with the, in the king's palace. And um, they are... Um, trained to be part of the second army to support the, the military. And um, she's kind of got this unusual ability, even for the Grisha, they're called Grisha, um, 
in the first three books in, in that particular kingdom. She's got an unusual ability, so she's kind of trained as an ultimate weapon. Um, it's being made into a Netflix series. Uh, it's got romance and intrigue and all of that. So I'm curious to see how the Netflix series turns out. Um, the author has been very protective. It's, she's had a lot of people approach her, and so she's finally found a screenwriter that she trusts. And so I'm interested to see how that will turn out. But the Grisha, Grisha universe, there's a couple of series now. It's definitely worth looking into. And the other series is an adult um, fiction series called The Murderbot Diaries. And it's told from the perspective of a self-aware security robot that's hacked its governor to gain its freedom, and he's depressed. Um, he's got PTSD. Uh, he's obsessed with streaming human media, and he just wants all humans to leave him alone so he can watch soap operas. But he's like, he both like loathes humans. He thinks they're disgusting and um, is annoyed by them. And he he's always talking about how stupid humans are. But then. At the same time, he feels this obligation to take care of them, and he kind of gets attached to them. Um, just the narrating so, voice of this is so good. <laughs> it's definitely it worth like reading. The perfect coronavirus read, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Because uh, I, I also am sympathetic to and completely disgusted by all other humans at the <laughs> right. moment. Right. And I mean, it just it kind of gets into things of human nature and corporate greed and justice. Um, you know, it's definitely, uh, and it's just his sarcasm is hilarious. So um, definitely a fun read. Okay, uh, my turn. So I have two books to recommend. Uh, one is uh, a shameless plug for another network project. Uh, I'm going to recommend the Emily Wilson edition of The Odyssey, which we covered in the core curriculum uh, series uh, listeners, if you don't listen to the core curriculum, it's where members of the Christian Humanist Radio Network read very slowly through the Columbia University Humanities curriculum. Uh, I would recommend you listening. And I completely fell in love with this edition of the Odyssey when prepping for that show. It makes uh, stories that I've heard, you know, a thousand times since I was 11 or 12 or whenever I started reading the Odyssey for school and makes them um, human and makes them sort of full of blood and marrow and life uh, when I was describing it to um, someone a few weeks ago, I called it delicious, which is uh, a descriptor I'm sticking to. Um, really just fun to, to sink your teeth into the narrative and the way that Wilson writes it. Uh, so the Emily Wilson edition of The Odyssey. And uh, the other book I'm going to recommend is uh, a young adult novel that I just finished a few days ago uh, called Fangirl by Rainbow Roll. Um, Rainbow Roll is kind of a, a darling of the YA world, so you've probably heard of her. Uh, Fangirl is a novel about a girl who is an identical twin, and she's really close to her twin, but they uh, go off to college and don't live together, so she kind of has to find her own identity. Uh, she's also a really well-known fan fiction author, so she's a creative writing major, and then she... Um, tells her creative writing professor that she writes this fiction, which her professor says, you know, fan fiction is not real writing. She kind of has to navigate a coming-of-age story, freshman year of college, boys, friends, classes, all that stuff, and also figure out how to create her identity 
when she thought that creating identities was the only thing she was good at. Uh, so it's it's a really lovely um, portrait of what it feels like to be 18 and making your way in the world. And uh, if you are a fandom-loving nerd the way that I am a fandom-loving nerd, uh, you'll appreciate the fanfiction aspect of it all. So it's called Fangirl, and it's by Rainbow Roll. That sounds fun. Is very fun. Um, it made me want to like dust off my old fanfiction.net profile and and see what uh, what horrendousness I wrote when I was fifteen. Not really, because it was really really bad. That's worth doing. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, no, you haven't read it, so let's not let's not uh, go off half cocked here. <laughs> Okay, so uh, we're going to switch gears quickly from uh, reading to watching. I know that I spent an obscene amount of time glued to my various streaming services this year, and I have a feeling I'm not the only one since it's not like we had a lot of plans outside our houses. Uh, Kim, tell us what you watched that you couldn't stop watching this year. So um, there is a large Korean population in our community and our church is partnering with a Korean church and kind of one of the side things that's been really lovely that's come out of that is the recommendations they give us for Korean dramas. And so my husband and I um, get totally sucked into these. And uh, if, if you're looking for a place to dip your toe into that, you can find on Netflix Crash Landing on You is one of our favorites and that one's interesting because one of the writers is from North Korea and it takes place partly in North Korea and I'm fascinated by North Korea itself. Um, there's also Prison Playbook is a great one and Hospital Playlist is what we're watching right now. But they're they're funny and they're touching and they're sad and they're sweet. They're kind of emotionally manipulative. Like, you know, you'll be like, oh, this is so cute. And like, they're, you know, it's funny. And then there'll be something that'll just totally rip your heart out and they just enjoy doing that or something. Um, but uh, it, there is kind of a different aesthetic and narrative style to Korean shows. Um, there's these really long, drawn out, awkward scenes of the characters just lovingly gazing at each other from multiple camera angles that is a little weird to get used to as American watchers. And the chronology is a little bit different. They don't tell stories very linearly. There's a lot of times where they'll show something happen and then they'll flash back to the things that led up to that, or they'll be showing a scene and then they'll keep flashing back to other things that are somewhat related to help you see the connections. Um, and it's interesting because I had heard completely unrelated about a psychological study of American and Asian college students who were given cards and told to put them in chrono chronological order. And the, and the Americans always lined them up um, in order on the table, whereas the Asian students always stacked them. And that's very much how they tell these stories is they're kind of, you know, like the past is very intimately connected to the present, even in the storytelling, which is cool. But, um, you know, they're kind of brain candy also, like young adult fiction in a way, but you feel a little more, um, I don't know, intellectual because you're learning about another culture and my husband's actually studying the language um, and he notices all these things. There's all these moments in the movie, in the shows 
where the characters get upset about the honorifics and um, things like that, uh, you know, because there, there's a different type of language you use for people depending on age and rank. And I don't pick up on it, in, but everybody on the, on the scene are, is really upset. And he's like, oh, that's because he was using the different form of the language. And that shows that he doesn't respect them. Um, and then there's these really weird little things that, get, that I think are lovely um, where like the characters, um, to show their love or affection towards somebody, they like put food on their each other's plates, and just like those little cultural differences, um, are really cool to see. That you know that doesn't mean anything here, but it really means something there, and all the other characters notice. So, um, it's been really delightful, and that's one of the things we've escaped into this season since we can't travel. Great. That uh, that sounds like a really interesting way to get uh, cultural knowledge and experience uh, during this time. Uh, Carla, what about you? What have you binge watched the past few months? Yeah, um, that sounds fascinating, Kim. Thank you for sharing those. I had no idea that they were on Netflix, you know? Um, that's really cool. But that's all um, Netflix recommends to me now, so. Okay, right. I mean, it, it, so, but it must be in like a different algorithm, right? Where you kind of exactly. have to start searching yeah. for them to get them. Yeah. yeah, like that's it. That's in our algorithm now. Okay, well, I'm going to look for them. That sounds fascinating. Um, so thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, so for me, I actually don't have a ton of time for TV. Um, and I don't say that with any kind of like, <laughs> like, Ooh, look at me. I'm not binging. Cause I absolutely do binge. Once I find something that I love, I like go right into it. So the queen's gambit is hands down the best thing, the best thing I watched this year. Um, and I know that Christian feminist podcast is doing an episode on that before too long. So I'm not going to go too deeply into it, but I loved it. It's a mini series. It's eight episodes. So it's not like you're going to have eight seasons to watch. You've just got eight episodes. It's about, um, a young, uh, chess, um, what do you call them? Um, uh, there's actually a word for like a chess protege, but grandmaster. Yeah, yeah. Grandmaster, I think. Yep. And so she's a young woman who, um, grows up from the age of maybe eight in an orphanage and uh, in the like what probably in the 40s maybe maybe the late 40s early 50s when it all starts and um, she starts playing chess with the janitor in the basement and is just um, innately skilled at this game right and so before she's uh, 13 she is playing in the high school against like the entire chess team and beating them and then she gets adopted and uh, the the dynamic between her and her adoptive mother, and she's about 15 when she gets adopted. Um, I think that there's some tweaking on her age, like in the whole conversation of, throughout the adoption. Um, and the couple that adopts her is is um, on the decline, I would say, as a couple. But the the uh, wife is this fascinating um, woman, and she's a brilliant pianist, and just an incredible um, connections forms between. Um, between gosh I'm like forgetting her name that's that's unreal <laughs> I totally Sorry. forgot it too I'm so glad I you know. brought this up though because no, I I really wanted you. it to be recommended because I loved it also <laughs> yeah what is her name Beth Harmon Beth Harmon yes okay so her name is Beth Harmon and so anyway then Beth goes on to to win tournaments and to continue her chess career and I'm not going to do more spoilers than that but one thing that I want to just draw attention to is how much I loved the relationship between the two women between the adoptive mother and Beth Harmon um, they just from the beginning are on each other's side and find a way to work together 
um, toward like the things that they need. There's an understanding between them of their struggles, of their pains, and they just are with each other in a way that I found incredibly um, refreshing for a female relationship portrayed on screen. And Beth Harmon also um, throughout, she just shows a the way that the character struggles for growth and pushes through her her struggles in a way that's super believable and doesn't glorify the struggle, but also doesn't demonize it, but make, makes it a part of her actual becoming. Um, I just loved it. I loved the way that they allowed her to explore her sexuality and her um, her power and all of these things that sometimes women aren't allowed to to explore in quite this way on screen. So I love it. I think it's brilliant. Um, yeah, so that's that's my main binge. Other ones that I've watched, uh, The Mandalorian. I am not a long-term Star Wars person, but um, <laughs> in fact, I hadn't seen it at all until I started dating the person I'm dating a couple of years ago. And he was like, what? You've never seen them? And I got to start from scratch and watch them. And then this year we've watched The Mandalorian and it has been, it's been fun. It's um, kind of brain candy too. Um, but I like the connection between the um, Grogu I actually know his name. I also want to call him Baby Yoda because that's what he looks like. Um, but the connection between him and the Mandalorian, I just enjoy. It's cute. Um, the other one that I love, and this has been a long-term love, is Mozart in the Jungle. So that I one... love that too. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Um, yeah, I adore it. I've watched it all the way through, um, and it's very binge-worthy. Like, once you start, it's very hard to stop. And that one is about... Um, a conductor of the New York Symphony who comes in and then there's a oboist, a young oboist who um, they have a connection and then she moves on to try to work toward becoming a conductor as well. And the struggles and the, I don't, it's just a delightful piece of TV. I love it so much. So. Great. Uh, yeah, I, I um, haven't watched that in a while. I should pick it back up. Uh, so I'm going to recommend something a little tonally different. Uh, if you've listened to this show for a while, you've probably heard me talk about the fact that I am a giant Broadway nerd. Uh, I love, love, love musicals. And um, the show that I'm going to recommend is, for my money, the best uh, television musical in recent years. It's on NBC and it's called Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Uh, the central conceit, when you say it out loud, sounds bonkers and like it should not work. Uh, what happens is that Zoe Clark, who is a coder in San Francisco in her late 20s, uh, one day she, uh, because she lives in a family with a history of a brain illness, goes in for an MRI to make sure that things are okay. Uh, during the MRI, there is an earthquake and some nonsense happens where when she wakes up, she can hear all the people around her's inner thoughts through song. So that's the central conceit of the show. Uh, if you are making a strange face and looking at me like I'm crazy, it's okay. It doesn't sound like it would be amazing, but it is amazing. Uh, it's a wonderful ensemble show. Uh, cast members include Mary Steenburgen, Lauren Graham, uh, Jane Levy, who you might know from uh, lots of horror movies and the failed sitcom Suburgatory, and uh, my television boyfriend, Skylar Aston from the Pitch Perfect movies and Glee and uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. 
really wonderful ensemble cast, but the way that they use music and dance to tell stories about the depth of human relationships uh, is really, really beautiful. Oh, and I forgot my favorite cast member. Uh, Zoe's dad is played by Peter Gallagher, who is just so wonderful. I mean, if you've ever seen him uh, sing and dance in his many musical roles, uh, you know what I'm talking about. So definitely check out uh, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Season two premieres next week, and I've literally got it on my calendar. That's how excited I am. Yay! That sounds so great. I'm like looking it up as we speak. <laughs> it's it's so delightful. It's just just completely delightful. Um, uh, so the next few categories are a little different. They're about counteracting the isolation of the pandemic by stretching ourselves in lots of ways, stretching ourselves with new voices, new viewpoints, and new habits. So the first stretch we're going to share is uh, some social media follows that made us think in different ways this year. Uh, Kim, start us off. Who are you following on social media and why? Yeah, so, you know, I think like a lot of us, I have kind of a love-hate relationship with social media. Um, I like keeping in touch with old friends, uh, but I also don't like, you know, the loss of time going down the rabbit hole and how you start to compare yourself and think you have to go do things just because other people are doing them. Um, I also hate getting sucked down the rabbit hole of Twitter, but at times I don't know how to feel about things until I see how the Twitterverse is reacting sometimes. Like, oh, there's a new secretary of education pick. Well, let me go see what all my educator friends say about it. Um, But it has been really helpful during this season, um, especially with the election and everything, I, I often feel like a political unicorn. Um, and I feel like I'm the, you know, sometimes the only person who thinks the way I do politically and finding some voices um, on Twitter that kind of validated or just helped me to feel less alone or to feel like, oh, yeah, it is okay to um, have some of the beliefs that I have and still vote the way that I choose to vote was just really helpful. So um, Karen Swallow Pryor on Twitter is somebody who I've uh, been following and uh, I really admire her and some of what she's been tweeting. Ed Stetzer, Marty Duran, Justin Gibney of the Ann Campaign, which I'll talk more about when I get to podcasts, um, have all been voices that have been helpful to me during the season. Um, and then if you're not following Beth Moore, she is kind of hilarious to follow right now. Both she and Karen Swallow Pryor um, I really admire their courage um, because yes. I always feel like I don't want to pull out of social media because it's a dark world and I feel like, you know, we need people to be people of light in this dark world of social media, but I'm always too scared to say what I really think on social media because I'll probably get eviscerated by, you know, I have like strong conservatives in my feed as well as strong liberals in my feed um, and I just feel like the things that I would post would get me in trouble with both. Um, and that's kind of like Beth Moore and <laughs> Karen Swallow Pryor will just say what I'm thinking and they will get eviscerated by people from both sides. Um, and they just don't care. And I really admire that. Yeah. They're um, the, the way that they both um, speak truth to power is, is really admirable. Absolutely. 
Carla, how about you? Who are you following that we should follow too? So here's my deal with social media is that I, I'm also pretty limited about, I'm not limited. That's not real, but I, I don't actually, I'm not on Twitter very often at all. Um, I have to be sometimes for work, but I find it to be totally like a, a, a hole that I can go down and it's hard to get out. So I'm not on Twitter much. Um, I don't really enjoy Facebook there. It's good for events. It's good for those kinds of things, but I have such a, uh, like you were saying, like a varied, a group of friends on there that it's hard for me to say anything at all or even like post about my life very much. So Facebook is, is I barely use it. So almost everything I'm going to talk about is Instagram. That is where I tend to tend to do my social media ing. Um, so one person that I started following this year that I've really appreciated is Sandria Hall. Um, and her Instagram is at my choice, my power counseling. And she's a therapist that some friends of mine know in, uh, Denver, in the Denver area. And she, um, is coming out of a, came out of a conservative evangelical background and does a lot of work with religious trauma. And so a lot of what she, um, posts just, just resonates deeply with, um, my experience of, of moving through my faith and, and the things I've tried to kind of work through and let go of and the things I want to retain and um, just the complexity of that internally. Um, so she's brilliant. I think she's brilliant. A good friend of mine, Josh Scott, Joshua Adam Scott is where you can find him on Substack. On um, Instagram, he's at Josh A. Scott. He is, or sorry, Josh underscore A underscore Scott. Um, but he is um, a pastor in Nashville and is brilliant. Like he can speak progressive faith from the Bible in a way that I don't know that anyone else can. He he uses scripture to understand. Um, he does, he hasn't moved away from scripture as a source for truth, um, but he he uh, understands it in a progressive way that um, I just find deeply resonant. And have had long conversations with him about his ideas and his thoughts. And um, I just think he has a way of seeing things and articulating things that's worth following. Um, and then my third one on Instagram is super light. I bought a house this year and am enjoying doing all things interior design. Um, so wit and delight is the one that uh, I will recommend that is a very light uh, follow. It's at wit and spelled out delight underscore. And she's a design uh, lifestyle kind of person and she's hilarious and also her house is beautiful and she gives all kinds of great tips. So <laughs> those are my Instagram follows. Awesome. I'm adding her to my Instagram follows right now. Uh, we just bought a new living room set and I'm trying to figure out accent colors and curtains and all this stuff. So gonna, she gonna is, go get ideas. Color is a thing. She is really good at color. So yeah. <laughs> awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm going to share uh, a couple of follows that have really made a difference in my perspective this year. Um, for this category and the next few categories, you're going to hear me talk a lot about historians. Um, something that I realized about myself this year is that uh, I think what has saved me from going completely insane through all of this is context and people who have been supplying me with context that tells me um, historically we are not alone in our experiences, that things like this have happened before and things like this will happen again and that we need to kind of take solace in the uh, the common experiences of, of our historical humanity. Uh, so two people who have done that for me this year are uh, Kristen Coves Dumay, who is uh, a historian at Calvin. Um, I interviewed her 
for uh, Christian humanist profiles about her recent book, uh, Jesus and John Wayne, which is just, I cannot recommend it enough. Um, and uh, speaking of, of Beth Moore, Beth Moore just said that Jesus and John Wayne was her favorite book of the year, uh, a fact about which Kristen was very happy because like all Christian feminists, uh, Kristen loves Beth Moore. Uh, so I'm going to recommend uh, all of Kristen's work, but especially Jesus and John Wayne, which is a meditation on uh, how masculine militarism has infiltrated the evangelical church and has sort of corrupted the gospel. And uh, she talks a lot about American exceptionalism as being tied to that vision of masculinity and how it got us to a Trump presidency and uh, some some other uh, cultural uh, low points of recent years. So uh, follow Kristen, read Jesus and John Wayne. And uh, the second person I'm going to recommend you follow is also a historian, uh, Heather Cox Richardson, who is famous for her daily recaps um, of the past few months where she talks about the most important things that have happened any given particular day in 2020 and then places those things in larger historical context and tells us what we need to know to better situate ourselves. Uh, she also does weekly talks on her Facebook and Instagram where she answers people's uh, historical and political questions and they're just so comforting. It is so comforting <laughs> in a time where it kind of feels like we're being led by people with no respect for history or context or anything past the end of their own noses uh, to hear someone say, you know, it's going to be okay and here's how I know it's going to be okay. Uh, so that's Heather Cox Richardson and Kristen Coves Dumay. That sounds really cool. And I've heard a lot about the Jesus and John Wayne book. Um, I really cannot say enough about that book. Like I, I loved so much, uh, talking to her own profiles. So, um, yeah, de definitely check that book out. Um, and now we're going to talk a little bit about other podcasts that, uh, that got us through this year. Um, Carla, what podcast are you going to recommend for us? Um, my, there's one podcast that I just listened to, uh, religiously. So that's the only one I'm going to talk about. It's world book club put out by the BBC. Harriet Gilbert is the host and, uh, she's spectacularly wonderful and dry at the same time. Um, and she interviews authors that have had books that have been, um, published in more than one language that have been around the world basically. And, um, I just love it cause she talks so, uh, and it, it takes questions from around the world about the book as well. So, um, I just love it. I love the fact that she's interviewing the author uh, and that they get to talk with so many people who have read their book from different cultures and different ideologies and that they entertain those questions about their process, about the characters, about all that. So that, that's my recommendation. That sounds really cool. I'm going to have to check that out. Absolutely. I think you'd love it. It's fantastic. Uh, how about you, Kim? So back to Justin Gimini, he's um, with the Ann campaign out of Atlanta, and he's got a podcast called uh, Church Politics Podcast, and uh, that was really helpful to me also throughout this year. Um, it's really, their goal is to educate and equip Christians for civic engagement. Um, there's an emphasis on kind of living the Christian ethic 
within whatever party you're in and not completely accepting the total platform of either party. Um, there's kind of an emphasis on compassionate conviction, on um, immigration and care for the poor, health care, criminal justice, and voting rights, as well as um, uh, upholding the right to life and Christian sexual ethic. So it's like... Um, Again, that whole issue of feeling like a political unicorn and like nobody understands the way I think or vote, um, to know that there are other people out there. Uh, they give really thought-provoking analysis of current events, um, but right around the election, right before and right after, there's several episodes that um, are good standalone episodes. They're not really specifically focused on a particular issue, but they're like how Christians should respond no matter who gets elected. And... Um, just some of the ideas expressed during those episodes, I think, are just really um, worth listening to. And then recently, um, through a recommendation from the Notorious KSP, I came to the Orthodoxical Podcast, which describes itself as a podcast for Orthodox evangelicals seeking balanced wisdom and integrated faith for the renewal of God's kingdom. And they have had, it's brand new, it's had several really interesting episodes. There was a great episode on holistic approach to abortion and maternal health with the founder of an organization called Pro-Life, Pro-Black. Um, and that was really thought-provoking and interesting to listen to. And um, there was also a really good episode on millennial faith and balancing orthodoxy and orthopraxy. So I just started listening to it. Um, but again, really uh, helpful in kind of thinking through how to live out Christian faith in our current political context. That sounds great. I um, I wrote down orthodoxical when uh, Karen mentioned it, and I've, I've been meaning to listen, so I'm glad to hear that you'd like it. Yes, definitely recommend. Uh, so I'm going to talk, as I said, some more about history. Uh, both podcasts that I am recommending are uh, historical and historiographical in their perspective. Um, the first is Throughline, which is NPR's history podcast. And they, their researchers must, like, that's, that's my dream job. I cannot imagine uh, getting to do the kind of deep dives that they get to uh, read about and think about every day. Uh, it's a wonderful podcast because it talks about historical events in a way that makes them seem um, not just relevant to our current time, but that an understanding of them is necessary to fully comprehend uh, how and why we are where we currently are. Uh, two episodes that I want to mention that have been my favorite Throughline episodes are uh, one from July called Lives of the Great Depression, which is a really wonderful dramatization of um, the lives of women and people of color who lived through the Depression from real journals and real archives, uh, beautifully and humanely enacted. I'd recommend that one. And uh, the second episode, which was broadcast uh, on July 30th, the anniversary of the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act, is called ADA Now. Uh, and uh, as all of you who've listened to this show know uh, I am a disabled person. I'm very, very passionate about intersectional feminism and uh, disability activism and disability politics. And uh, this is something that I've spent a lot of time learning a lot about. 
this podcast episode is the best layperson summation of the passage of the ADA and everything that led up to it that I've ever heard. So uh, if you don't know a lot about the birth of the disability rights movement, I would recommend uh, that you listen to that episode. So that's through line uh, in PR's history podcast. And the second podcast I'm going to recommend, um, I found and started listening to just today and had to put it on this list. I loved it so much. Uh, it's from uh, Disability Arts in Britain, and it's called New Women. And it's a wonderful dramatization of uh, the lives of three disability activists from the first wave of feminism, and it's particularly about the intersection of uh, feminist politics, suffragist politics, and disability politics. And uh, it talks about one woman that you've probably heard of, Helen Keller, and two women that you probably haven't, uh, Rosa Billingshurst, who is uh, the only British suffragette to use a wheelchair. She literally used herself as a battering ram to get through British police who were beating women who wanted to vote in Britain. And Mabel Norman, uh, who was the mentor to Charlie Chaplin. So it dramatizes these women's lives through letters. They speak directly to the audience and uh, talk about normal things, uh, their political aspirations, but also just life and love and what it's like moving through the world uh, in a body that not everyone understands. Uh, it's also really accessible and short. Um, the episodes are about nine or ten minutes apiece. I listened to the first three while I was making dinner today. Uh, so super accessible, really um, interesting and easy to get into, and it's called New Women by Louise Page. That sounds incredible, too. Oh, my goodness. I'm, like, looking things up as we go, <laughs> adding people on Facebook and Instagram. It's fantastic. Good. Uh, yeah, I, that's that's what this episode is for. I hope that um, that our listeners will do that, too. We're going to put a thousand million links in the show notes. And, uh, like I said, please send us your best of 2020 as well. So... One of the things that I tried to do the past few months to avoid feeling so stagnant was to really evaluate my daily habits and the routines that I was falling into and see if they were working in my new at-home environment. As we said, um, we're working from home now and, and things are very different. Um, and if they didn't, I tried to change those routines. Uh, one of the first things that I changed was the way I structured my morning prayer time. When I commuted, I did my morning prayer on my bus commute, but because I wasn't doing that anymore, I felt like I needed another way to make sure that I devoted that time to prayer in the morning before shifting my brain into work mode. So what I've done is started a prayer calendar wherein I pray for different groups of people in my life each day of the week. For example, uh, family is on Mondays, uh, friends in Minnesota where we used to live, I pray for them on Wednesdays, uh, loved ones who live with anxiety and depression are on Fridays, um, and on and on. 
I pray for several groups of people each day, and the list that makes up each group changes all the time. But this system really allows me to put active thought into my prayer time in the morning and not just drift through it. Um, it also, in these pandemic times, has the added bonus of helping me remember what day of the week it is when I basically have no other occasion to do so because everything is the same all the time. Uh, so I would recommend if you are a process and system-oriented person and you think you might need to switch up uh, your prayer time, the uh, daily group calendar is a great way to do that. Uh, the second thing I want to recommend is something that my husband Michael and I have been doing since the pandemic started uh, to give us something to share together and to kind of shake up the routine. And that is uh, almost every Saturday night we have what we have been calling Fancy Saturday, which is a themed dinner um, typically based on uh, whatever saint's feast day is closest that week. Uh, we make food from the country of that saint's origin and we... Uh, pray a prayer or give a toast uh, from their feast section in this really wonderful book, uh, bonus recommendation, called uh, Drinking with the Saints, which is a book of cocktail recipes based on the liturgical calendar. Uh, oh my so, word, that's my wow, that is awesome. The day. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> okay. Uh, also, check out, oh, is the name something Foley? I can't remember, and I can't get close enough to the bar to see his name. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, but Drinking with the Saints is is lovely, um, and you should all read it. And uh, if you would like, Michael interviewed him about that book, um, I think, a couple years ago on Christian Humanist Profiles. So we'll link to that, too. We'll link to everything, yes. all the links in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. uh, but I, I really would recommend uh, something like Fancy Saturday, something where you can uh, make being stuck at home a little fancier, a little more special. Um, you know, you, use the good china, open a good bottle of wine, um, enjoy the space and the time that you're present in. And, uh, you know, the, the best way to do that is with good food and drink, I say. That's wonderful. How about you two? What um, new habits or routines have you tried out during quarantine? Go for it, Kim. So um, for me, um, I have really enjoyed, I don't know, I've just um, really enjoyed scripture reading. I've, I could spend like an hour a day just reading and journaling. And that's been really pleasant. Um, but I love your idea about prayer because that's definitely something that I want to go deeper into. Um, but one thing that I've been experimenting with is approaching the practice of community as a spiritual discipline. Um, Henry Nowen talks about the practice of solitude in the way of the heart and how it's deeply connected um, and intertwined with community and how we need both, um, that we need to be able to be okay being on our own and not constantly pulling energy from others and requiring other people to, um, to, to feed us, I guess, spiritually and socially. 
that we need to be comfortable with ourselves and we need to practice the discipline of solitude. And I'm pretty good at that one. But it's also super unhealthy to just be on your own because we are designed by God to be in community and to be in relationship. And we learn so much about love and about um, aspects of God through community that we need both. And for me, that's the one that I really need to work on. And like spiritual disciplines are you know, things that it's like exercise that you need to kind of start small and work your way up. And it's been, um, I've always struggled with, um, you know, just reaching out, staying connected with people. It's always taken a lot of effort for me, but especially now we've kind of touched on it. Just, it's so exhausting to navigate, like, you know, who can we hang out with? How do we hang out? Are you comfortable with masks? You know, we're going to meet outside. How are we going to handle distancing? Um, who have you been hanging out with lately? There's just so much. It's exhausting. Um, but really seeing it as necessary to be super intentional, to make connections, um, because it's not only important for me and my own spiritual well-being, but I'm the deacon of women's ministry at my church and just realizing that there are so many hurting people right now um, that it's really important for others that we're reaching out. And so um, just making that effort. And I've had some incredibly difficult conversations um, when I have made the effort to call people. It's just been so heavy. Um, and sometimes it's been people letting me know things that they've held on to where, um, that I've done something to them in the past, you know, that, that just the, the situation and the opportunity, like when you're at a women's Bible study, they may not say something about that at that time, but in these phone conversations that it's just one-on-one, -on -one, they're kind of unloading things that happened like a year ago. And it's just been really hard. Um, and I went to my husband and I was like, I don't think I could call another person because <laughs> these conversations are just been so heavy. And, um, you know, but some of them have been also really encouraging and sweet. And he said, you need to approach it as a spiritual discipline. And, you know, sometimes they're going to say things that challenge you and that are going to cause you to realize that you need to make some changes and that you need to rec reconcile with some people or, or do some things differently. And that's God's going to use that to grow you. And sometimes it's going to be encouraging and you need to take both. Um, and, you know, approach it as a spiritual discipline. So, um, so really making the effort each week to pray about, okay, God, who do you want me to call? Um, you know, who do you want me to reach out to? And, um, God is really good. I've definitely grown because of it. Um, and I definitely think it's really important because of the mental health issues and things that people are dealing with right now. Yeah, definitely. I, I love the idea of framing community as a spiritual discipline. I, I feel like something that, uh, that this time has really taught me is that discipline is discipline for a reason, that like hard things really do shape us and make us better. Uh, so thanks for, for that perspective. That's, that's really helpful. Kim, you mentioned earlier that your uh, new habit also has a connection to an app. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So um, there is an app that I've been using, um, Lectio 365, which has daily medit it's daily scripture meditations. It's not really sufficient to like replace scripture reading because it's pretty short passages, but it is based on the ancient spiritual practice of Lectio Divina, um, 
which involves reading and listening to a passage of scripture several times to see what God reveals to you. And uh, right now, during the week leading up to New Year, it has a, um, they're using a spiritual practice called examine that's also kind of an ancient spiritual practice. Um, and I've really enjoyed it. You can just read the daily readings um, and meditations, or you can listen to them. And I like listening to them because it kind of has built in times of silence to kind of force you to slow down and to actually pray through it. And um, I really haven't have enjoyed adding that to my daily scripture reading. So I highly recommend Lectio 365 as an app to enhance your scripture meditation. That sounds really useful. Carla, what about you? What app have you been into lately? Mine is super light, but it's Wordscapes. It's just a game. You're <laughs> basic in your in the games section of everything. Um, Wordscapes. It's like a independent Scrabble. It's like Scrabble um, in solitaire form, and I just adore it. I just it's a little circle of letters, and you have to create all these words to fit in a puzzle. And yeah, that's a good way for me to blow some time for sure. I get ads for that all the time, and I keep wondering if I should. Uh download it or not so you're telling me I should <laughs> I love it I love it I mean you'll have to go a ways before it's even moderately challenging for you I think I'm on like the 1500 level somewhere in there and it's starting to get pretty challenging but the first you know 500 you're just gonna be like okay whatever keep going you'll get there <laughs> okay uh cool I'll I'll look into that give in to the ads I'm so contrarian that I don't want to like because they're pitching it to me I don't want to do it but uh if you endorse it then I'll check it out well and that's the thing any of the other ads that come through I'm like no I only play this game I won't touch any of the ads so yeah okay uh so my app recommendation is also light and not serious Uh, it's just sort of life hack level stuff uh I'm recommending an app called AnyList, which is a recipe and grocery list and meal plan sharing app. Um, You can connect your account to another person in your family's account and add to the same shared grocery list. So like if one person is at the store, you don't have to call and text frantically because you realize that you're out of milk. You can just type it into the app and it buzzes on their phone and they know to also get milk. Um, It's really been a wonderful life changer. Uh, You can also now in the newest uh, update of the app, connect uh, recipes and meal plans to your Google Calendar so that everyone knows what you're having for dinner every night. Um, It really cuts down on kind of needless administrative work that I feel is so often gendered in relationships. Um, It's been such an amazing time saver for me. Uh, And I realized when I was prepping for this episode that you can do categorized lists in the new version of the app that don't have anything to do with food. So now I'm going to import my daily prayer calendar into my any list and it's going to be in one place. And that makes my perfectionist heart so happy. Uh, so I'm excited to, uh, to work on that this weekend and consolidate my uh, type A uh, over preparedness. That sounds so fun. I love list making and marking things off lists. Uh, it is it you can actually set the noise 
nitpick the noise that it makes when you mark something off. It's so satisfying. Lovely. Yeah, check it out. Any list. Uh, it is a paid uh, subscription, but it is worth your money. I promise. Uh, Okay, so we have uh, almost reached the end of our all recommendations uh, episode, and our last category is just the wild card category. We're going to tell you something that we didn't have a category to slot it into, but we didn't want to leave the episode without recommending it. So, uh, Carla, what's your wild card? Okay, so two things that have been uh, occupying my COVID brain. Jupiter 10 Wallpaper Company. It's a UK-based company. Again, I just bought a house, and I'm a little obsessed with the idea of, like, accent walls and wallpaper. So Jupiter 10 is my little wallpaper obsession. It's gorgeous. Just looking at the site is fun. And you can order, like, um, wallpaper samples, and they come in, like, 8 by 10 sheets, and they're beautiful if you just want to frame those. So Jupiter 10. And then the second thing is get a kitten. I got a kitten just after we moved, and he's the best thing that's happened to me in a very long time. So those are my COVID wild cards. They both sound lovely. That's uh, that's fantastic. Kim, what about you? What's your wild card? So we've been playing lots of games uh, online with people from church and our families. We've done jackbox game, jackbox games. Um, we particularly like Drawful 2 and Fibbage, uh, XL. They, I they love both... Fibbage. <laughs> yeah. We've been doing a lot of Fibbage with friends online, too. It's so fun. Yeah, it is fun. Um, and you just have to check. Some of them have family-friendly settings and some don't, but that's just good to know for parents out there. Um, the other thing our family has been doing is cooperative games, uh, which is great, especially if you have kids who um, don't like losing. Um, but we've been doing Hogwarts Battle and uh, Forbidden Island. We just got Forbidden Desert, which we haven't beaten yet. So um, definitely recommend looking into some cooperative games. I am such a fan of cooperative games. I don't know if it's like the stereotypical girl in me that I just want everybody to work together. Uh, but we have both Hogwarts Battle and Forbidden Island, and I love them both. Uh, I put Forbidden Desert on my Christmas list this year, but I didn't get it. Uh, so I definitely want to check that out. Uh, but yeah, definite double endorse to Hogwarts Battle and Forbidden Island. And I'm super competitive, and I still enjoy it because it's like a puzzle. And um, so it even for competitive people, I think it's um, enjoyable. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so my wild card uh, is the best album that I heard in 2020. Um, and I will give credit where credit is due. Uh, my wonderful husband bought me this record on vinyl for my birthday, and I was a little under-enthusiastic about it when he got it for me, and then I started listening to it, and I kept listening to it, and I kept listening to it, and it's like the best thing in the universe, and he completely knew uh, that I would love it. Um, it's an album called Honeymoon by the band Beach Bunny, and they are... Uh, sort of girl power driven 90s alt rock sound and I love the music so much because it's this combination of uh, really tough uh, alt rock with incredible drums um, 
percussion is my favorite thing about music. So I will judge your music by its drums. Um, the drums are so hard and wonderful. Uh, and then laid on top of them are these like diary entry, 15 year old confessional lyrics that are so incredibly bleeding heart and, and this wonderful juxtaposition with the, uh, tough music. Um, I just, I can't, uh, say enough about the Beach Bunny album Honeymoon. If you are also uh, into angry girl music of the indie rock persuasion, uh, check it out. That's okay. the best endorsement I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, okay, great. Uh, with with a bonus uh, 10 things I hate about you quote for uh, any other 90s kids out there who are listening. <laughs> We've probably gone on uh, long enough, so thank you so much, listeners, for spending this time with us. Uh, we hope you check out any and everything on our list. We will post all these links in the show notes, and please, please, please uh, tell us either in this episode's Facebook post or on our email address uh, anything that got you through the complete sea of nonsense that was 2020. Thank you so much for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We want to hear from you. If you have topic or reading recommendations for future shows, or if you just want to drop us a line, you can do so at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page or at the network's Twitter handle at CH Radio Network. And check out show notes from this and our other episodes at the Christian Humanist blog at christianhumanist.org. The Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Kristen Philippic is our press liaison. For Kim Feldman and Carla Godwin, I'm Victoria Reynolds-Farmer. Tune in in two weeks when we'll discuss the Enneagram. Until then, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things love. <laughs>